Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Judges. The book of Judges. As we continue our uh, sermon series called Signature, which is just the names of God in the Scripture. And tonight we will focus on, as Dwayne said, uh, Jehovah Shalom, which is the Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. Uh, truly, those songs do uh, absolutely line up with the Scripture tonight. And if you can connect those back uh, later when you think about it and think about the words that we sing and the words that we'll read from the Scripture and all of that, uh, it really does tie together. But if you're in the book of Judges, you can turn to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And uh, we were not too long ago in the book of Judges. And so um, look back to, to some of that material to kind of start this uh, passage off as we talk about Gideon. But um, when you look in the book of Judges, what's to understand there when you start off with is just that God's people had arrived at the promised land. They are there. Uh, there is a fulfillment there because of God's faithfulness and, and his covenant with Israel. And while it was a long-awaited promise that was fulfilled, uh, while they were there, it was a roller coaster of obedience and disobedience. Uh, while they were there, it was a cycle of uh, obedience up and idolatry down and God's people. Uh, eventually, what we're leading to is God's rescue from the greatest enemy that we have that is revealed in the Old Testament, which is ourselves. The enemy that we still share with those that were in the Old Testament. And the scriptures teach us that the generation of the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. So for a generation under the leadership of a godly leader, they served God. And then the Bible even says that those leaders who outlived Joshua in that generation, the people of God still served him. But then another generation behind Joshua and those that outlived him, they grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord. They did not acknowledge all that God had done for them. And so the Bible says very plainly that they did evil. They served and they worshiped false gods. They abandoned the one true God. And one thing we're going to focus on tonight is, uh, is that this angered God. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But it made God angry, the scripture talks about, and, and rightfully so. As, just as the consequence, he, he handed them over to their enemies because they were serving the gods of, of other people groups. And this, this God of ours who had just rescued them and freed them from the tyranny of Egypt and, and given them this promised land, God freed them up and did all these things they just forgot. And, and so God in his justice, he turns them over to themselves. And in this way, he, he fights against them towards their defeat. But because the Lord keeps his promises and because of his grace, he gave them leaders to once again steer them towards the truth. So he just didn't leave them be to die to themselves. He gave them judges. And chapter 3, verse 9 says, But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. Think about that key word. He raised up a rescuer to save them. And when a judge was in place, God's presence was with them. He would rescue them from their enemy. And then when the judge died, the people would return to their corrupt ways. So he raises up a rescuer. The people have the word of God, the presence of God. The people live and they live well before God. And then as soon as he died, the people turned back to their ways. And so you see this pattern all throughout Judges. Well, Joshua had warned them about this in Joshua chapter 23, verse 15. He said, but as surely as the Lord your God has given you the good things he promised, he will also bring disaster on you if you disobey him. Again, this is the pattern that we see. God's people rebel against God. Their sin leads to discipline and consequence. 
The discipline brings them back to repentance, and God responds with deliverance and his grace through providing a rescuer. Tonight, as we study Jehovah Shalom, I want you to hear this from Isaiah chapter 48, 18. This will be a time for you to write it down, underline it in your Bible. If tonight you are here and you are thinking, I could use some peace, I'm searching for it in my soul, in our home, and in our life, in our decisions. Isaiah chapter 48, 18 says, Oh, that you had listened to my commands, then you would have had peace flowing like a gentle river. I'm not going to sing it, but y'all remember the peace like a river song, right? I've got peace like a river in my soul. Oh, that you had listened to my commands. Lord, would you uh, please teach us tonight on this? For you are peace. You are not like peace. Yes, you do give peace, but this is not the thrust of tonight. Tonight is about how a relationship with you brings peace because peace is who you are. You are reliable, stable. You are stability. You are calm in whatever circumstance there is. So, Lord, for however we need to receive it tonight, Spirit of God, I pray that you'd make it plain and true to all of us, Lord, to apply it to our life. And we thank you, God, for who you are. And pray, Lord, that as we listen to you, we would live in peace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This brings us to Judges chapter 6. So Judges chapter 6, the, the Israelites are on the downslide again. They have done what's evil in the Lord's sight again, and he hands them over for seven years to an enemy group called the Midianites. Obedience invites peace like a constant flowing forward movement of a gentle river. We just read that. But the rejection of God, the scripture says in Isaiah chapter 57 verse 20, is like the chaotic churning of a restless sea. You can drown in the chaotic churning of a restless sea, right? In Judges chapter 6, the Israelites are in that chaotic churning of a restless sea. There's a people group called the Midianites, and because the Israelites did what was wrong in the Lord's sight, the Midianites were allowed to come in. And basically, what you're going to read there in the first half of the first passage of chapter 6 is that when Israel would plant their crops, as soon as they got ready to harvest, Midianites were, were watching, and they would swoop in, and they would take all of it from them. Uh, they would run them out. They would take from them. They would leave them nothing to eat. They took all the sheep, goats, cattle, donkeys, all that stuff. Uh, the, these enemy hordes, the Bible says in verse 5, coming with their livestock and tents, they would set up thick as locusts. They would arrive on droves of camels, too numerous to count. Stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was, was desperate. And they cried out to the Lord because of Midian. And what do we say happened when they finally experienced the consequence and discipline of their own sin? They cry out to the Lord, and because of the faithfulness of God, he provides a new rescuer. Well, this new rescuer in chapter 6 is Gideon. Now, before we get into this, I want to give you this statement and, and let you take it in as I've taken it in today. Conflict is a direct result of sin, always. Conflict is always a direct result of sin. Someone's sin. It's a direct result of sin. It could be as small as an inconsiderate thought or word. It could be as small as petty selfishness. Or it could be as big as abuse or murder. But sin always separates. Sin always disturbs the peace. So tonight, even tonight, as you sit here in your life, if there is an exterior or an interior turmoil in your life, you can trace that to sin. Now, it may not be your sin. It may not be the result of your sin. It could be the result of someone else's. 
Maybe the worry that you experience, the, the doubt you experience is because of someone else in your life. Maybe the situation that you find yourself in is not your doing, it's someone else. And I think we all need to keep in mind that our sin is like the weight coming off a boat. It's never just one person that it affects, but it affects everybody around them. So it, it, maybe, it, maybe it's even not either one of those. Maybe it's not somebody else's sin. Maybe it's not your sin. Maybe it's just the sin of the world. And the sin of the world that we live in will bring a disturbance of the peace. It may not have been Gideon's sin that left him in this desperate place because when you read about Gideon, we're not told exactly this, but you get the sense that he is a faithful man in an unfaithful land. And so he is harvesting the consequences of all of the culture around him. And because there is that discord in his life, it is a direct result of the conflict of the sin in the nation of Israel. And here's how God put it to those in chapter 6, verse 10, for those who were living in conflict without peace. He said, but now you have not listened to me. Now that is relative to God sending a prophet. The prophet is telling them how God has rescued them. And this is where you are now because you have not listened to me. This is the lack of peace, the void of peace that you are experiencing in your life. We live in a day when listening to God by his spirit and through his word is opposed by our very culture. Being quiet before God, being still and knowing God. I even thought about that as we were singing. On a Wednesday night, a Wednesday night is what? It's a stoppage of activity. We sit in the sanctuary. Most of us are quiet. We are still and we hear God in the middle of our week. And our culture is completely opposed to that. Our schedules are opposed to that. We are distracted by our desires. There's a temptation now that even as I'm talking, and maybe you think, well, that's because it's boring. But even as I'm, I'm talking now, there's a temptation to get out your cell phone and just be entertained for the next 30 or 40 minutes in the air conditioning. Rather than actually hearing the word of God, we are bent with that desire against hearing from the truth of God. And there's a part of us that wants to sit still, though, and we want to hear what God says. We want to, as, as we are children of God following the Lord Jesus Christ, there is always that inner pull from the Spirit of God towards the truth to shed light on what is dark in our life. And there's a part of us that wants to listen to the Lord and let Him counsel us and grip our heart. But as the days fly by, we find ourselves and our days disconnected from intimacy. And by intimacy, I mean the time where you actually sit down and seek the Lord and hear from him and talk to him, not the scroll on your screen. There's a Facebook quote of a scripture and there's a theologian that says something and got a couple of those things in for the day. That's, that's okay, but that's not the same as being still and knowing that he is God. And, and truly taking in that time where you for yourself, and I'm speaking to myself as well, you for yourself are listening to the Lord. And you're not reading something that somebody else came up with, but you are actually hearing God speaking to your heart from his word. Our weeks are often disconnected from intimacy. Our weeks are often disconnected from church family. Then there's months that are disconnected from serving God's purposes. And all of it goes back to this. Who is in your ear? Who are you listening to? And, and you may say, well, right now we're listening to you, right? But when, when those times come in your life, when you begin to be disconnected from the intimacy of God's word and hearing from the Lord in prayer, when you become disconnected from God's church, from his family, when you become disconnected from, from serving God's purposes, who are you listening to in those times? 
And, and sometimes it's, it's not as blatant as like, well, there's a guy I met and he's talking all these lies to me, man. I just started buying in. It's, it's not that. Or maybe you started reading and studying somebody. A lot of times it's not, we're not listening to God because we are listening to the culture that we live in that says, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Man, this is on my heart big time lately. And when you do that, when we are so busy, we can't sit still. I'll speak to that more on, on Sunday. But write this down. Take a note on this one. If God's word escapes our minds, God's values escape our lives. If God's word escape our minds, God values, God's values escape our lives. And soon enough, we'll find ourselves in a darker and more desperate situation. Somewhere along the way, the people of Israel, leading to chapter 6, they stopped listening. They just stopped listening. Today we, uh, we were uh, sitting around the table, the lead staff pastors got together, we had some lunch, and we were sitting there, and you know, as you, as you do before you actually talk about the things that you actually showed up to talk about, you start talking about all kinds of things. And we started talking about getting a paddling in school. It's a random conversation. Uh, I think as we went around the table, I think everybody at the table at one time or another got a paddling in school. Uh, if, if we were a small group right now, I would like to be like, who got the most right now, right? And then uh, you have people pointing at each other. There you go. Um, but I remember, I remember playing. I didn't get a bunch of them, but I got a few. And I remember playing basketball in the boys' locker room um, at PE, and, and there was a... We were playing basketball, there, again, there's like basketball goes all over the gym, but it was more fun for us to play in the locker room because there was a pull-up bar that we could actually dunk on, like we could dunk on that. So the pull-up bar that was there, you'd walk in and there was always like this random volleyball laying around. We picked up this random volleyball and we would always play like two on two and now we're dunking on it and things like that. And then coach, our coach would come in and he'd be like, guys, stop, <laughs> you know, like seriously, stop. And then the next time it was, guys, I'm warning you now, the next time I come in, I'm going to paddle every single one of you that are involved in this dunking the volleyball thing, right? So we stopped for a little bit. About two months went by, and that volleyball was laying there again. Our coach is nowhere to be found. We're throwing it up off the wall. We're hammer dunking the, the pull-up bar again, right? And he came in and saw us, and it was like it made him happy. He was like... Yes, I'm so thankful for this day. Everybody line up. He just paddled every single one of us, right? Uh, what, what happened between the time that he told us and we heard it to when we rebelled again? We, we stopped listening. We stopped remembering. We stopped talking about it. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a deeper, darker place. And this, this principle is true. We, when we forget, when we, we used to listen, but now we don't anymore, we find ourselves in these desperate places where now it's not we're talking to God. Now we've got to cry out to God. But the good thing is, is that in the faithfulness of God, he'll hear us. It's in the dark and desperate situations that we've created where we wish we could have allowed his gentle hands to guide us instead of his stern hand to correct us. And there is a difference in our attention when we're in those situations, isn't it? We see this, we see this all the time at church where people come in for the first time or could they come in for the first time in a long time when things are dark and desperate. And they do that because their need for God has become realized and they are tender. And as one leader said, God lets us go so low that we will know he's our only way back up. And, and what do we do, church? What do we do when, when these folks return? 
When these folks that tried it out and then they quit it and they're trying again, or the folks that's never come in before in their life, but now they show up because we know what's going in and on in their life, what do we do? Do we roll our eyes because they're back again? Or we roll our eyes thinking, well, it's going to take Jesus to save you. No, we thank God because while he allows consequences, he never gives up on his purpose for people. So God have mercy on this church if we were to ever see somebody that walks back in here after a, a terrible month or a year, or we know what's going on in their life and they show up again. God have mercy on us if we were to go, here y'all come again. I'm thankful for the grace of God that each time that I bow my head and close my eyes after I'm an idiot, he hears me by his grace. Out of this desperate situation in verse 7 where they have gotten themselves to, the Bible says that they cry out to the Lord. And when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Bible says the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. So he sends a prophet to tell them what we just said. Guys, y'all have not been listening. <laughs> it was God that delivered you. He is the one true God. He's given you warnings. You've not been listening to his warnings. And so now because they've cried out, then God delivers a deliverer. God sends a rescuer in Gideon. Now, here is, how, here is how God raised up Gideon. If you look this, you would see it right here in uh, chapter 6, and you would see verse 11 through, and we're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through these. You can read these on your own. But 11 through uh, 17, and here's what happens. God raises up Gideon as Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, if you know anything from what I just said, those two don't go together. He is threshing wheat in a wine press. And the reason that he is doing that is because he is hiding out. This is not a bold step of faith. This is I'm hiding so nobody takes my food. Like he's surviving at this point. And he is in this mode to where he is just trying to keep what is his so the Midianites don't find him, find it, and take it from him and his family. And basically, he's in a situation where he is just trying to make it from one day to the next. And this is what's happening in his life. He has no thought of a better future. It's only a focus on today's challenge. Gideon saw himself as a bread maker, and God saw him as a difference maker. And we'll see this as we move through how God speaks to Gideon like he is a treasured, precious warrior. And Gideon's like, who are you trying to reach? This is not me. Isn't it good when somebody believes in you? It's good, isn't it? It's just a simple sermon. I, I think we need to think about that tonight. Like when you read the words that Gideon receives from God and how Gideon thinks about himself, if there's somebody in our life that doesn't see their value, tell them. Tell them how they're valued. Tell them how much they're appreciated. Tell them you see what could be, maybe not what is. Because it just makes you feel good when somebody sees something that you don't see. And if we see that, tell somebody. But this is what happens. God calls Gideon. It says in verse 12, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Think about any of us, if, if, he were to, if God were to show up and be like, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Who could receive that well? Like, yeah, absolutely. This guy knows who he's talking about, right? The mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, Gideon had fought no wars. He had won zero battles. He was not at the front lines fighting against the Midianites. 
Gideon was hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. So when he sees or he hears this from, from the angel, if you look there in verse 12, the, or verse 11, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. And Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. If God is with us, Gideon replies, why are we suffering? And where are all the miracles that all of our ancestors talk about? Why are we in this misery? So God has blessed him with this communication, and Gideon responds by questioning God. But nobody in here does that, right? Not once have we ever brought our questions to God and asked him why he did this or why he would allow this or why we are going through what we're going through. See, we all have, and that's the reason I asked that, we question God. And why do we question God? We question God because of how we feel. We question God because of how we feel. We trust in God because of how we faith. Those are two different things. So at the very beginning of their conversation in this encounter with God to Gideon, he begins to question God after God calls him. The next thing we hear is that God sends him. God sends Gideon. He says, go, and this is interesting, with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites, I'm sending you. Now, you go from this hiding place and rescue everybody, all of them the entire nation of God's people with just the strength that you have. The strength that Gideon had in the world's eyes and in his own eyes is, is very little. He was from the weakest clan in Israel. He was the youngest of his family. If Gideon was a football player, he would be a no-star recruit. Like he's not even on rivals. Didn't even make it to the recruiting pages if he's that guy. He, he's first, he, Gideon is questioning God. Now Gideon is questioning Gideon. You notice that? He, he says, go with the strength that you have. And Gideon's like, I don't have any strength, man. I'm the reason I'm, I'm hiding out over here. I want you to get this. If you conclude you're nothing, you conclude God can do nothing. You hear that? If you conclude that you bring nothing to the table, you conclude that God can do nothing with what you bring to the table. And both of those are wrong. He said, go with the strength that you have. Well, when you take your strength plus the strength that God provides, it's more than enough. And we question ourselves because we feel we can't do anything to make a difference. But maybe that's why God chose Gideon in the first place. Maybe that is why Gideon was the one that was called. Because at the end of the day, people would be like, how in the world did this happen? And then God gets the glory for that. The scriptures say in John 15, 5, we quote it all the time, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from God, you can do nothing. So he could have taken the, the biggest, baddest man alive. Could have taken a four-star general, the guy that was on the front lines. But still, apart from God, nothing of eternal significance will happen. I encourage you and challenge you to do this as I think about it myself. If you are going to influence anybody towards the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're going to minister in any way that makes a difference for the glory of God, one of our prayers that we need to pray before we actually get involved in those kinds of things is, Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. So I'm factoring in you right now. So give me the strength and the words to say and the example to live as I live before others. Why would we expect God to bless something we don't even factor him into what we're doing? Go with the strength that we have plus the strength that God gives, and then we got something going. When we bring nothing to the table, or when we who bring nothing to the table are able to make a big difference for the glory of God, the good of man, 
The credit goes to the one with all the power who, who it belongs to. Are, are there more capable people than Gideon? Are there more capable people than, than you or me? And maybe in the world's eyes. But even think about who you are as a Christian and how you minister. And maybe you're a group leader. Maybe you're a father and mother with a Christian influence. Maybe you are gifted to sing and lead. Maybe you are gifted to teach and to counsel, to minister, to share a word. If you don't feel adequate, I would say this to you today. If you don't feel adequate to teach, to go on mission, to lead, if you don't feel adequate to preach or to share or to share a word of testimony, you are in a great place to trust the Lord. A great place. I thank God for the times in my life when I've had an opportunity to stand and deliver, absolutely not believing that I could do it. And those are the times that when God shows up the most. There, there have been opportunities I've had to stand and preach funerals that I thought, Lord, there's no way I can do this and there's no way that it'll help. And those are the times I look back on that the Spirit of God just said, get up there and open your mouth. And then you come away with people going, that really helped me, or that was what we needed to hear. There was a time in my life I got asked to do a funeral. I got off the phone, and I thought, Lord, there's, I don't even know how this is going to work. I had it down in 30 minutes. That's never happened in my life before. In 30 minutes' time, I had an entire funeral message on paper because it was so fresh and dependent upon the Lord. He gave it right to me for the time. If you're in a place where you think, there's no way I can step up and do anything for the glory of God, you are in a great place to do something for the glory of God and the good of man because God uses weak and ordinary people all the time. Amen? I love to be part of a church that's full of weak and ordinary people that trust the Lord. God assures Gideon. God keeps going with him. You notice the patience of God, right? I mean, Gideon keeps pressing back, and God continues to be patient. He assures Gideon. He says, I will be with you. There's the other half of the strength, or more than half. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Here then, Gideon asked God, well, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Now, now he's not asking questions, or he is asking questions. He's asking for proof. But this is not a rejection right? It seems like, well, he's just testing God. Actually, he's probably just like us. He believes, he wants to believe even more, so he's got some more questions. He's hopeful, but he's insecure, so he requests God, and God was gracious to accommodate his lack of faith, or his incomplete faith, and God was desiring to use Gideon. See, that we get to that point, too, where I don't believe enough. I, I'm, I'm not practicing faith enough. Again, you read the Old Testament, you feel a lot better about your faith. Now, hear this. If you make a request of God for God to reveal himself to you, and, and have we not all done that? Have we not said, God, will you show me something, speak something, show up in some way? <clears throat> if we're honest, I bet a number in here have asked God to give them a sign. We've prayed for things like that. Or at least, God, would you give us confirmation? If you make a request of God to reveal himself to you, you need to know the way and he will, that he will likely do this. Will God reveal himself in a dream or a spiritual unveiling or by an angel like we see here? Maybe, maybe. But don't forget that God spoke to Elijah in a gentle whisper, not in the windstorm, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but a gentle whisper. Let me ask you a question. Do you want a grand gesture of God or do you want the truth? Which is it? Do you want to hear from God, or do you want God to perform for you? Which is it? 
Because as we are asking God to speak to us, God's voice is right here, too right here. God's voice is wrapped up in the Bible bound. It is wrapped up in the pages and it speaks to us as the living word of God. Continues to reproof and correct and to teach us and equip us for every good work, 2 Timothy says. So you have to ask yourself if you are calling on God to speak to you. If you are calling on God to speak to you, that means you have already read it and poured over the word of God and you didn't get anything out of there. I would send you here first to God's word to seek and pour and saturate yourself in the scriptures and trust in God as God speaks to us through his spirit. In the Old Testament, an, an offering, as, as we see here, because what Gideon said was, show me a sign to prove that it's really you, Lord, that's speaking to me. And, and this is what he says, don't go away until I come back and bring an offering to you. So he is going home. It takes probably an hour to two hours to prepare what he's going to prepare. He comes back, and he brings an offering. And, and what he's asking for is for God to consume this offering with fire. And that is the way, if you, look in, if you look in 1 Kings, you'll see that there. God consumes the offering, letting the people know that it is him. And so he asks for this, he prepares this offering, and once he laid it on top of the rock, the angel of God took the staff, he touched it, and a fire consumed it, just like that, which means it has been approved by God or accepted. And then, if it, to make it even cooler, the angel of the Lord disappears. So Gideon was asking for it. And God revealed himself there by the flame of acceptance to his offering, and then the angel of the Lord disappeared. And then by his grace, God spared Gideon, and Gideon with full realization then that he was in the presence of the Lord. Notice what he does next in chapter 6, verse 22. I'm doomed. O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It hits him full reality that he has been interacting with God for just a minute, and he hasn't done it very well. And then verse 23, he says, God says this, man, highlight. It's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid, you will not die. Verse 24, and Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And the altar remains in Ophrah in the land of clan of Yazar to this day. Gideon reacted with, I'm done. Why, why did he respond that way when God revealed that it was truly him that was communicating with him? Have you thought about that? Why, why didn't he go, awesome? Right? Like, I thought it was you. <laughs> the whole time I thought it was you. I wasn't sure. Why, how, how did he respond with this, I, I'm completely undone? Because he had questioned God. He had doubted God. God visited with him, and he finally realized it, and the spiritual realm had been at his doorstep. And his response, once he figured out what he was dealing with, complete terror. Why? Because he took God for granted. He didn't believe him, even when God was in front of him. Complete terror. God called me, and I questioned him. God visited with me, and I poor-mouthed him. God was patient with me and encouraged me, and I prolonged his plans. We're still going with this because of me. When we sin, this is the appropriate response before a holy God. I'm doomed. We don't bring anything good before a holy God. Nothing. So this is the appropriate response. We deserve, because of our unfaithfulness, death. 
That's the biblical truth of who we are. You can pump yourself up with sunshine if you'd like to. The scripture says that's not the way it is. We are separate from God in our sin. And I think we should note here the response of Gideon because Gideon's response is appropriate. The scripture says God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. He shows grace who belittle themselves and, and he sets himself. The Bible says God actively opposes. He sets himself against those who are puffed up. And the Lord, like a merciful father that we just sang about, he confronts, he comforts Gideon. And that's the thing about it. A merciful father is who we sang about in the song. You know, when, when Gideon says, I'm doomed, he doesn't have like this smart aleck response like I have as a dad, like, you dead gum right, you're doomed. You sure are in trouble. You know it too, don't you? Like this is what God says, like this merciful father, it's all right. Don't be afraid, you will not die. Like death is on the table, but you will not die. In this moment, it's likely that Gideon remembered the, the biblical history. Like if you're in the presence of God, you're not going to make it. Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, God told Moses, You may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. This is how holy God is, man. This is how pure and perfect and powerful he is. Too, too pure and perfect and powerful for anybody that's lesser than to be close to. But when the people of God cried out to this holy God, he did not reject him. He intended not to take them out. He intended to rescue them. This is why he kept putting up with Gideon and why he went forward with him and then the next step forward. Because at this point in time, the anger had subsided and it was God's desire to rescue. He would not be thwarted from that plan no matter what. And this is why he said, it's all right, do not be afraid, you will not die because you're about to fight. Y'all listen to this because this is a reassuring voice for us today. When he says, it's all right, do not be afraid, you will not die. And then we turn to the New Testament and see the work that God has done for us through the person of Jesus. God is no longer dealing with men with an unsettled attitude. Now, y'all need to hear that one more time. God is no longer dealing with men with an unsettled attitude. His wrath has already been satisfied on the cross. The wrath of God that is just is no longer towards us. God is no longer between pity and anger. No longer. In, in one instance going, you've called out to me again. Yes, okay, fine. I'll, I'll let you back in. And then the next moment when we blow it, he's not going, oh my gosh. I'm taking you out, all of you. All of that is no more. The wrath of God has been, has been satisfied. The in and the out, the back and the forth, the wavering of God's people that rightfully angered the Lord. The wrath of God was laid upon Jesus for the wickedness of Israel, for the wickedness of me and you. So there's no longer this God that is angry and what am I going to do? And this God that is showing pity and compassion because they've turned to me. And remember, every time, here's why, every time a rescuer would die, what happened? The people would rebel. Well, guess what? Jesus, always living, never dies. This is our Savior. This is the Spirit of Jesus that lives inside of us every single day. 
The living God who is living that sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, always living. This is why God's Spirit never stops in our heart. This is why we get grace every day if we ask for it. This is why our, uh, we receive mercy and guidance and comfort every single day as a child of God because our rescuer never dies. The Word of God never stops. Why? Because Jesus is living and that Redeemer, Rescuer is always there. And glory to God. Amen. And it's because of that that the attitude of God will no longer be anger toward us. It will be peace. Now, you need to meditate on that if it doesn't do something to you. Because as I studied that today and I thought to myself, there's always this time when, when you have a conviction of sin in your life. Is there not a little bit of wonder about what God thinks about you? He's mad at me. Country singers sing songs about it. Stuff. He's mad at me. God's mad at me. At some point, he'll let me loose. And where does that come from? Is that truth? Because his wrath has been satisfied through Jesus. If you're a child of God, he's not mad at you. He will discipline you to bring you back into the fold because you're his son and his daughter. So that's, as, a good, as a good father, once again, a good father of his children is not looking to kick them out and keep them down, but to discipline them and bring them back in. That's the heart of a good father. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, the scripture says, He himself is the sacrifice that atones for sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the entire world. And then the next verse of that at 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says this, And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Is that draw in your heart towards the commandments of God? When we talked about tonight how we need to listen to God, does that strike a chord in you? Like, I absolutely need to listen to him because I need to be faithful to his commandments. That has, that's how you know you're his. We, we face the, don't, don't get me wrong now, we face the consequences of sin. We face the discipline of being a child of God. But we do not have to wonder whether God's anger is burning against us ever again if we are in Christ. Hallelujah. You know, I used to see that sign in Huntsville that said, God is not mad at us, or not, God is not mad at you no matter what. Remember that? I don't really know what to think about that sign, but here's what I know. If you are in Christ, that sign is true. The wrath of God has been satisfied. Now, the wrath of God is still there if you remain in your sin. And their price has been paid. The provision has been made for, for your forgiveness. But you will still face the wrath if you are not in Christ. So what happens next? He builds an altar. Verse 24, he built an altar to the Lord. The Jews identified special events and places by putting up monuments, so Gideon built an altar. So why? So he would not forget. So every time he passed by it, he'd see it. The living memory of God's grace, his encouragement, his calling, his peace. And then, verse 24, he named it Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. Now again, I want you to hear this before you leave. Not the Lord gives peace, but that he himself is peace. Or best translated with the idea of this, he is our well-being. The Lord himself is our well-being. Meaning, those who live and believe in Jesus will hold and have a strength of calmness, even in a sea of chaos. When we are overwhelmed, listen to this list. 
when we are overwhelmed, when we are sick, when loved ones suffer, when money is tight, when we don't know the answers, when we don't know how it will all turn out. If you are in Christ, you have calmness even within the sea of that chaos. Regardless, the biggest problem of sin that we had, and you think about it, of all those things that we listed, feeling overwhelmed, the sickness, the money, the issues, the biggest problem that all of us have is being separate from God in sin. And when Jesus takes care of that and you turn from your sin and turn by faith to God in Jesus Christ, now in all situations we have the presence, purpose, and power of God. Always. That's where the peace comes from. And what happens next after Gideon builds an altar? Think about this, man. This is so good. What happens next after Gideon builds an altar and calls it the Lord is peace? He goes to war. He goes to war. That's a paradox, isn't it? Now that he has built an altar and says, God himself is peace, and I am right with him because he's not mad at me. Let's go straight headlong into a situation which is full of chaos and disturbance and violence. And let's go right in there to that. You see, make no mistake, in our salvation, while we are still in our salvation, we are still in creation. And because we are, there will be the curse of this sinful world and everything that we're a part of as every year passes. There will be certain times when we battle. But it's in the battle when, when peace gets its promotion, does it not? Does it not floor you when people who are living so closely in their walk with Christ are shaken, but they are not shaken down? That they, they maintain an attitude of faith in the people around them? But when we are listening, living in Jesus, there, there's no longer a feeling of I'm doomed. When we are in Christ, when we are right with God, that's when, now listen to this as we close. When there's no longer a feeling of I'm doomed because we're listening and living in Jesus, then we take the attitude that goes something like this. It's just money. It's just a season. That's when we take the attitude of it's just temporary. It was just a bad decision. You see, when, when you say those things and mean it by faith, or claim those things, I guess you could say by faith, that is a he has overcome the world mentality. And peace is not the absence of conflict, it's spiritual safety within the conflict. So how do we achieve it, right? That's the last thing is we've got just about four minutes left. How do we achieve this kind of peace? How does our home go from plumb broken to well-being? How do our emotions move from wavering and wishing to resolved? Remember why the Israelites moved away from God and away from peace? What happened? They stopped listening to God. They stopped listening to him. I want to finish with these verses out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. I just want to read them to you. I want you to hear it. Jesus said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. And though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When the waters rise as it's talking about here the flood waters it says 
though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise. When I read verses like that, I always think about words like this. We're too high up for the water to rise up. We're too high up for the water to rise up. The house that, that my sister and I grew up in sat at the top of a hill. At the bottom of it was a creek. And when it rained and flooded, that creek would get wider and it would come up higher. And when I was little, I remember looking down at it one time and it had rained like it had never rained before. And I start thinking there, you start turning on the news and the news is like, is this rain of biblical proportions? And that stuff freaks a kid out, right? Like does daddy need to be building a boat, what's happening? And I remember, which we would have drowned, amen. We would have drowned. <laughs> That's why you keep good people around you help you build things. Um, but I remember, I remember watching that water continue to just rise and climb. And I went to my mom and was like, mom, is this water going to get us? And she would say something like that. We're too high up for the water to rise up. When you listen and you obey the God who is peace, you're too high up for the water to rise up. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your truth, for your reminders of who we are in you and what we have in you. Lord, even as I pray now, I understand there'll be situations that are going to rattle us tonight, tomorrow, and the next few days. As we are in this world that is cursed by sin, oh God, remind us that while we are in creation, we have salvation. Lord, that in you we have peace. And Father, so when, when we are feeling like we don't, help us to listen to the truth more than we listen to our feelings and to obey the truth. God, I pray this for all of us, Lord, so that we may be faithful witnesses before a looking world looking on, even through suffering. Lord, we ask for this, Lord. We ask for this, this calmness, this wellness, that only can come through you. Lord, if there be one or a few others tonight, Lord, that are just wondering themselves why they don't have this peace or if they are searching for it and they are wondering what it takes to be right with you god that they would search your word and simply and seriously call on your name turn from themselves and turn to you by faith in jesus christ for the forgiveness of their sins lord i pray that you continue to do a work in all of our lives lord as a church together and as individual members of families and we ask god that you bless this night this way forward in jesus name amen